Welcome. Hi. Hi, I'm Victoria. I'm Annie. Uh, we're excited to tell you about some things that are coming up in the life of our church. Uh, first and foremost, if you are joining us and you're new, we have in the seat backs in front of you a connect card. If you'd go ahead and fill that out. Or if you're a member and you need to update some of your information, you can go ahead and fill that out as well. Um, same thing to those of you who are joining us online. There is a button on your screen to also connect with us. And I love every Sunday how Dave reminds us when he, when he reads us the Bible and then he says, this is our only rule for faith and practice. And I don't know if you've thought about it before, but it always really reminds me that the Bible isn't just there to tell me how I can have a relationship with God, which it obviously does, but it also tells us how I can live a really good life. And God has a lot to say about that, and he has a lot to say about money, and it's something that we don't usually think about, that God cares what I do with my money. He cares how I'm a steward of my money. And we are going to start here in October on Wednesdays a class led by Gene Sass and John Schwinghammer where we're, we're really going to dig deeper into what God has to say about our money, how we're stewards of our money, what we should be doing with our money. And so if this is something that you've never considered before or maybe it's something you have more questions about, I highly recommend that you come. Child care is provided, I am pretty sure. <laughs> yes, child care is provided. <laughs> so um, anyway, I just really would recommend that you check it out. Um, you can sign up online, and I'm sure John or Jean will be around if you have any questions for them. That's also something you can mark on your card. If you do want to get in touch with someone, uh, the church will put you in touch with the right people. Um, Anybody with daughters? I have three. And we are so excited at my house for the father-daughter dance. It's coming up on Saturday. My husband is very excited. Very excited. <laughs> um, and so anyway, it's going to be here at church, 630. If you know somebody who has a daughter and maybe your neighbor, this would be a really good time to invite people to church because it's really low pressure. It's really fun. They're going to have crafts for the girls. There's going to be dancing. There's going to be food. And it's also just a really great opportunity, dads, to pour into your daughters. This is a memory that we started going last year, and my daughter has, like, great memories of it. And so it's just like a really great memory year after year that you poured into your daughter and you had this really special date night. So can't wait to see you there, except I won't be there. <laughs> um, one of our last announcements is the women's tea uh, that's coming up. We're calling it our Christmas tree, uh, tea. It's on Saturday, December 2nd. Um, yeah, woo, yeah, we're excited. Um, this is for girls sixth grade and up. This is for women of all walks of life. Um, if you can think of someone, if you've got, you know, your mom, your sister, a neighbor, cousin, whomever, uh, invite them to come to our tea. We're starting to sell our tickets today out in the lobby after the service. They're $10 a ticket. Um, the tea is a special thing for Vicki and I. Last tea we had, the very first one, our theme was joy. And this year, the theme, the light of the world, it's really just an opportunity for us as women to come together in fellowship, but really in the season of Christmas, when the world is kind of flashing all its lights, all its advertisements at you, we just want to provide an opportunity at the beginning of the Advent season to just calm down, to come to Christ unadorned, to see him for who he is, and to reflect on the gift of Christmas and the real reason for the season. So we encourage you to come. If you have questions, come see us, ask about it. Um, we're excited for you to come. We're excited for our hostesses. Um, so thank you. And seats are limited. So if you think that you're going to come, 
please sign up um, as soon as you can. We'll be here the next couple Sundays after church. Uh, last but not least, it's been Pastor Appreciation Month. So we want to appreciate our pastor, Dave. He does a lot for us. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate you. So this is my third year at um, this campus as the pastor, the campus pastor here at our World Golf Campus. And um, I'll be honest, the first year that I was here, uh, y'all were so serious about this Pastor Appreciation Month in October, and it, it was a little surprising to me. And then last year, my second year, it was, it was, I was a little bit more comfortable with it. I really don't necessarily like everybody looking at me, even though I do this for a living. <laughs> Can I just say that my third year here, thank you so much for the love you've shown me and my wife over these three years, and for the partnership of the gospel that you have with us. Um, I'm learning to lean into the grace of the Holy Spirit to to let you appreciate and love me. And I just give it back and say, I love you, thank you, I appreciate all of you. All right. So the passage we're going to look at this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I'm going to start reading in verse 10, and I'm going to read down to verse 15. And listen, we should pay careful attention to God's word. So if you have a copy of scripture, open it and follow along with me. And if you don't have a Bible, you should bring one. If you don't have it this morning, you can pay uh, attention to God's word on the screens. But let's give attention to its reading because it's inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient. It's our only rule for faith and practice. Now... You followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's spend just a moment in prayer. Dad, thank you for speaking words of hope and promise even in the face of persecution, suffering, troubles. Lord, we do pray for your church around the world where it suffers, the body of Christ, persecuted for their faith in Jesus. 
Lord, we ask that you would strengthen and encourage pastors and members of your body, that they might remain faithful to their profession, and we pray for us that you would do the same for us. Lord, as we open your word this morning, you would speak. Jesus, do a miracle. Open deaf ears. Give sight to blind eyes. Take out hearts of stone and put in hearts of flesh that would receive the word of the Lord with gladness. And that Jesus, your word planted in us by you, that you would water it and, and cause it to grow. That we might bear fruit for your glory. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you heard the expression, a carrot and a stick? Carrot and the stick. And that, that expression goes back many, many years. It originally was the thought of a donkey that was being led by a rider, and the donkey would have a carrot out in front of the donkey, urging the donkey forward, and then behind he would be whacking the donkey with a stick. The world in which we live approaches us as followers of Jesus with both the carrot and the stick. The carrot is what the Bible describes as the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. All the temptations that come from this world to to jettison Jesus and to say that living the way of Jesus does not require holiness, that we should eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. But if Jesus is raised from the dead, he invites us into a way of life that's different from the world. Now when the world can't get us with the carrot, then it comes with the stick. And the stick is what's described in verse 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let that sink in. Paul doesn't say all who desire to live godly in Christ might be persecuted. And he also doesn't say must be persecuted. He says will be persecuted. Paul wants us to adjust our expectations of what it means to live as a follower of Christ in a hostile world, to adjust our expectations so that Persecution, resistance, resistance to the godly life in Christ won't surprise us, undo us, trip us up, keep us from following Jesus with everything we have. Lock this into your, your thinking. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. Now, Jesus, Jesus was the most godly who ever lived. 
No one lived a life of devotion to God and his purposes greater than Jesus. And what was Jesus' experience of life in this fallen world? What did Jesus experience? Well, Jesus, at the very beginning of his life, turn to Luke chapter 6. Sorry, Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is just beginning his ministry. He comes on the scene, and he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he comes to his hometown, Nazareth. He comes to his hometown. In the power of the Spirit, news about him spreads through all the surrounding district, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as, his, as, as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And he tells the people, in a reading from Isaiah, that the Messiah that you've been looking for, I'm him. I'm the Christ. Follow me, because I'm going to bring the kingdom. I'm going to bring a life full of of love for God, and, and I'm going to bring the blessing of restoration back into a forever relationship with my Father in heaven. Then he says, and I've come to do it not only for you who are living in Nazareth, I've come to do it even for the nations. At first, the people said, oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. Jesus, he's revealing who he is in our synagogue. Oh, schedule the tours. Open the gift shop. This is going to be so good for our little town of Nazareth. But then all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. Verse 22, it says, All who are speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips, by the time the message is over and the benediction is given, they were filled with rage. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff passing through their midst, he went his way. So here's Jesus, the most godly man who ever lived. They were amazed by him, his gracious words. Then they wanted to kill him. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Jesus, Jesus in John 8, Another example of this hatred that people had for Jesus. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Jesus reveals himself as the one who is fully God and fully man. And therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus himself went out of the temple. So at the beginning of his life, Jesus faces the hatred of his hometown. In the middle of his ministry, Jesus 
faces the hatred of the religious leaders who pick up stones to stone him because he claims to be fully God and fully man. Before Abraham was born, I am. And Jesus, at the end of his life, at the end of his life, he climbed on a cross. And certainly, the greatest example for us that all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted is Jesus on the cross. There were three men hung on a Roman cross that day. Two were killed because they were too bad to live. And one was killed because he was too good to live. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Look at verses 35 and 36. They came to the place called the skull, and the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus models it in his life from beginning to end, and Jesus promised his followers that this experience of persecution would be one that we would experience. In Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6 is Luke's uh, telling of Jesus' most famous sermon. Luke 6 is, is called the Sermon on the Plain in the book of Luke. And it immediately follows Jesus going up on the mountain, praying all night, and then calling 12 men to be his special followers, designating them as apostles. And then he speaks this Sermon on the Plain, Turning his gaze to his disciples, he gives this address, this sermon, explaining the kind of life that these men can expect as they follow him in this special ministry that he's called them to. And here's what he says. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day, and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Jesus establishes for his disciples the expectation that following him will include the experience of being hated, opposed, ostracized, thrown out, beaten, killed. John chapter 15, at the end of his ministry, the last night that Jesus had with his disciples, Jesus sits with them and he teaches them, reminding them of their ex what they should expect 
in this, their life of following him, and listen to what he says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So Jesus says to his disciples, at the beginning, expect persecution. At the end, expect persecution. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Now Paul in 2 Timothy 3 adds his own personal testimony of his experience of persecution to encourage Timothy. And he says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 11, Remember the persecutions and sufferings as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord rescued me. So Paul looks back on his life and ministry to three cities that he visited with Timothy, that Timothy was intimately acquainted with, and we see his experience of life in Lystra, Iconium, and um, Antioch in Acts chapter 14. So turn there, and let's see the story, the narrative of these three cities. In Iconium, Paul goes out on his first missionary journey, and in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together. Who does that sound like? Isn't that just what we saw Jesus do in Nazareth? Remember it said, as it was his custom, Jesus went into the synagogue to worship on Saturday, to read the scripture, to reveal who he was. And so Paul learned from Jesus to go to the synagogue and tell who Jesus is. Tell who Jesus is to the Jews in Iconium. And so he does. What happens? Verse 5, an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and to stone them. They became aware of it and fled to the cities of Laconia, Lystra, and Derbe, and the surrounding regions. And they continued to preach the gospel. Now listen, I mean... What if you had something other than a nice PowerPoint slide that said, we appreciate you, Pastor Dave? What if instead of that, some of you had stones? How likely would I be to come back next week and preach the same gospel? Paul preaches the gospel, and it's because of the good news of Jesus that he's persecuted. And yet... He goes to the next city and continues to preach the gospel. Now, what happens there? We'll go down to verse 
19. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city, and the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. So, Paul is, they try to kill him in one city, he leaves, goes to the next city, preaches the gospel, they come from the other cities he had been, chase him down, they actually get to stone him here, and they leave him for dead outside the city, and what does he do next? He preaches the gospel to that city, and made many disciples, then returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Don't be surprised by the persecution I've experienced, and don't be surprised by the persecution that you're experiencing. Let the good news of Jesus strengthen you, and encourage you to continue in the faith. The faith, believing in Jesus, believing in Jesus and accepting, as Jesus did, life in this world, not as we, as we would have it, a life free from persecution and suffering and troubles, but as it is, as it is, a life that included for Jesus persecution and will for us. And a life that for Paul included persecution and will for us. And a life that for Timothy included persecution and will for us. Now, small group leaders, let me give you several other passages that you can look at with your groups this week. Peter. Peter experienced persecution, and he describes it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. James, another apostle. James experienced persecution, and he tells his followers, tells the followers of Jesus that he writes to in James 1, 2 through 4, about how to respond to persecution. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, James 1, 2 through 4, the experience of the apostles, all of them, was that as they followed Jesus, they all experienced persecution, and their followers, like Timothy, also experienced persecution. Now, from what we've learned about Timothy, do you remember some of the things that we found out were true of Timothy? As we've studied this book all year, some of the things that we remember about Timothy are that Timothy was young. So Paul would tell him, let no one look down on your youthfulness. We also know that Timothy was somewhat of a chicken. Because he tells him over and over and over again in these letters, be steadfast, be strong, stand firm in the gospel. So how do we, how do we 
prepare ourselves as Paul prepared Timothy, how do we prepare ourselves for the persecution that's promised to all who desire to live a godly life? Because maybe some of you are just like me and just like Timothy. On the inside, you look like the Chick-fil-A chicken. On the inside, you may look confident on the outside, but on the inside, you're not bold. You're not courageous. You're not strong. You're weak. You're afraid. You're afraid of persecution. So am I. On the inside, I'm a big, fat chicken. But I want you to know, as the Bible wants me to know, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How do we prepare for the inevitability of resistance to Jesus and the gospel in our culture? How do we prepare for that? Well, the, look at verse 15 of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy uh, 3. Verse 14. Look at verse 14. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Now, the Bible was originally written in Greek, and in Greek, the word continue is the word meno. And the word meno is found more than a hundred times in the New Testament, and the word meno means to abide, to remain, to spend time with. When I was learning Greek in graduate school, I had to memorize a lot of vocabulary words in Greek, and the vocabulary word meno, the way I memorized it, that that word means remain, was that the name of the boat that Gilligan and his friends went on was the SS Meno. And they went out on a three-hour tour, and then they ended up on this island for like 80 years. That was compressed down into like six episodes on television. Meno, to remain. Now, if you've studied the life of Jesus with a disciple maker at Good News using the map, you learned a definition of abiding, you've learned a definition of remaining, that it means to find a friend who loves you and stay there. To find a friend who loves you and stay there. That's what it means to abide, to continue, and that's the life that Paul invites Timothy to. The only way that we'll be able to receive and flourish in the face of persecution without losing our faith, is by remaining, abiding in Jesus. It's true of persecution, and it's true of everything in the Christian life. That's why Jesus says, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. 
It's true of persecution. It's true of everything in the Christian life. The only way for us to make it is to abide in Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, to abide in Jesus, first we have to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Have you? To abide in him, you have to find him to be your friend who loves you. Do you know Jesus as a friend who loves you? The gospel is good news because the gospel tells us about Jesus, a friend who loves us. But the gospel that is good news also has bad news, and the bad news of the gospel is found in verse 13. This is what the Bible says about us and our sin problems. Evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Who am I naturally? Naturally, I come into this world with an evil, sin-scarred heart, and my desire is not to go the way of Jesus, but to go my own way, being deceived and deceiving. But the Bible calls that sin. And because we've sinned against God, we're in big trouble. But the Bible has good news. And the good news of the gospel is that there is salvation. Salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. We're saved from what? We're saved from sin. The evil disposition of our heart and our tendency to go our own way. We're saved from sin. We're saved for what? We're saved for eternal life, to go God's way, to live in the way of Jesus. So how are we saved? We're saved through faith in Christ Jesus. That Jesus is the Christ. He's the anointed one, fully God and fully man. He lived for us the life that we should have lived. And he's Jesus. God saves. That's what his name means. That's what Jesus means. God saves. Religion is man trying to save themselves. The gospel is God saving sinners through Jesus. His life lived for us and then his death. His death in our place. As our substitute, God took all of our sin and put it on Jesus and punished him in our place. Jesus died as our substitute. He was buried. The third day he rose again to show that all of our sin, all of our sin, the penalty had been paid in full. And all who put their faith in Jesus are welcome, are welcome back into a forever relationship with God. A heart not characterized by evil, a heart that doesn't want to go their own way, but now a heart controlled by the Spirit. A heart that wants to follow Jesus. The faith. Saved by the faith that is in Christ Jesus. What does it mean to believe? We love to say it's as simple as ABC. That we admit that the bad news of the gospel is true of us. That we believe that Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to die and rose from the dead, and that we commit to Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
and ask him to come in and help us become the people that he designed for us to be. If you've never begun an abiding relationship with a friend who loves you, Jesus Christ, won't you today? You can do that right where you're sitting. I'll give you the opportunity at the end of the message. Or come up after the service. I'd be happy to talk with you more about what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus through faith. Become his follower. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, this passage invites you to build a community, to build a community around abiding in Jesus. To build a community designed intentionally to abide, to remain, to spend time with a friend who loves you and stay there. There's two, pa- two parts of this passage that I want to look at very, very quickly. The first is this community for followers. This is for followers. This community that we're going to build together to abide in Jesus first is characterized by some friends. Some friends. Some friends who, who want to live the abiding life in Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a minister in Germany At the beginning of World War II, he left Germany. He escaped knowing that persecution was going to come, and he escaped to England. He was safe. And then he said, I can't. I can't stay in England. I have to go back to Germany. And so he did. Dietrich Bonhoeffer returned to Germany, and he started a seminary in Germany. And as a part of that seminary, he wrote a book called Life Together. That book, Life Together, was the model, the philosophy of ministry behind the seminary he began to resist persecution by the Germans of the church in Germany during World War II. And in it, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in that book, Life Together, he says this, Christians need brothers who will speak the word of God to them, and they need them again and again and again because we're so prone to forget. If we're going to make it, we need a community of friends. Friends who can tell us the word of God again and again and again. Jesus loves you and invites you to abide, to remain with him. Rod Dreher wrote a book recently called Live Not by Lies, and in it, he lays out, as clearly as I've seen, what's happening in our culture with regard to a rise in our culture here in the U.S. of resistance and hatred for the truth that's always been here, but is advancing and increasing. In it, In it, he says this, Only in solidarity with others can we find the spiritual and communal strength to resist. The longer we remain isolated in a period of liberty, the harder it will be to find one another in time of persecution. We must see 
in our brothers and sisters not a burden of obligation, but the blessing of our own freedom from loneliness, suspicion, and defeat. So Paul says to Timothy, I have opened my life to you, and you have observed my life, my conduct, the way I lived. You've seen my life. You traveled with me, and you know me. Who in your life knows you, and who in your life are you getting to know so that you are prepared with a group of friends to be sustained in life together when persecution inevitably comes because we know that it will based on what the Bible says. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And to make it, you need some friends. You need some friends who will open up their life to you and you'll open up your life to them so that you can say, you now know my life, my conduct, my purpose. You know the way of life that I'm living and you have the freedom to help me and I with you. We need some friends. We need to build an abiding community of friends. Second, we need to build an abiding community of family, of family. Paul reminds Timothy that he learned the gospel first in his family, from his mother and his grandmother. That's where he learned the gospel first. And so our families can become a place where we abide in Jesus. Here's how Dreher uh, describes it. The traditional Christian family is not merely a good idea. It is also a survival strategy for the faith in a time of persecution. Christians should stop taking family life for granted. Instead, approaching it in a more thoughtful, disciplined way. We cannot simply live as other, all other families live, except that we go to church on Sunday. Holding the correct theological beliefs and having the right intentions will not be enough. Christian parents must be intentionally countercultural in their approach to family dynamics. The days of living like everybody else and hoping our children turn out for the best, are over. Okay. Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. I love you. I want you to be ready for the inevitability. Therefore, find some friends. They're here. I promise. Find some friends and allow the Spirit of God to change your thinking about your family so that the goal of your family stops being to keep up with the people in your neighborhood in the trophy case of your family's pursuits of what's happening now and the goal of your life as a family becomes to abide in Jesus. You say, tell me more. I would love to. 
I would love to pray with you as a, as a family, as a family of believers, to ask Jesus by his spirit to help us as a church become an abiding community of friends and families who are going after Jesus and his way together. Because it's only when we do that, whether we end up having 50 people saying yes, or a thousand people saying yes, no matter how many of us are left in that pursuit, it's our only chance. It's our only chance of making it together. Because everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Let's prayerfully pursue that together. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We need your Holy Spirit. Apart from your Holy Spirit, I, I, would, I would love, I would love to just take my head and stick it in the sand and ignore what I see in the world happening to your church. I would love to believe, oh, that could never happen in St. John's County. But Lord, your word tells me different. So Holy Spirit, give me and your people the faith to believe that what your word says is true. And Jesus, if we're going to become the kind of people you want us to become, then we need to be your followers. And that involves saying yes to you as Savior and Lord. Have you? Won't you now? Won't you say to Jesus, Jesus, I admit to you that I've sinned against you in many ways and I'm sorry. Jesus, I believe that you lived and died and rose again for me. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord and help me become the person you want me to be. Jesus, you love your church, and you have promised to build your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you promise to build within your church your faithful people, a remnant of those who will say yes to following you, abiding in you in friendship, and as families, teach us Teach us how to do that, for I pray in your name. Amen.